Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Good morning, everyone. Great to be with you this morning at church. Uh, isn't it a beautiful day, beautiful weekend? I hope you get to enjoy some of the sunshine, but well done for coming to church this morning and not enjoying the sun right now. Um, so uh, welcome if you're new. Fantastic to have you with us. Uh, great to be in church together, isn't it? Uh, and listening to God's word. I'm going to pray for us uh, and then we're going to listen to what God has to say in 1 Corinthians 15. Our great Heavenly Father, please uh, still our hearts and minds now. Help us to turn off to the voices uh, that cloud and and press in and listen to the voice that really matters, your voice. Uh, Father, please help me to speak faithfully and clearly, uh, graciously. Uh, Lord, help us as we respond, as we hear the good news of Jesus. Uh, Help us to respond whether that's the first time or the hundredth time. We pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, we've been talking about uh, good news, uh, and I want you to think again, what is that best news you've ever heard in your life? What is the good news that you've you've heard? Uh, As we've already mentioned, it is those classics, isn't it? You got the job, they called you, you got the job, Uh, you passed the exam, Uh, your results are clear, what a relief, Uh, your loan has been approved, she said yes. Uh, you're having a baby. Now, I can remember exactly where I was when Natalie said yes to me uh, 27 years ago. So it was Friday the 28th of October 1994. It was 8.24pm. I think I made that up. Um, We're at Sydney's Centrepoint Tower restaurant and that was a moment. That was great news. I remember the news when we received a phone call to say, you're pregnant. Uh, We're in our final year at college. Uh, We'd actually watched pretty much our whole year over four years have children. Uh, We're actually in our last gathering of our year, a farewell. We're at the Intercontinental Hotel. You don't go there as a poor uni student unless it's something, a poor college, Bible college student, unless it's something big. It was our final farewell gathering. During the lunch, phone call came, Natalie's pregnant. Such joy, such good news. Uh, Then the day that each of our daughters were born, that news as I stood there and the doctor said, it's a daughter. Three times I heard, it's a daughter. At least once I hoped for a son, but no. (laughs) Uh, So good, isn't it, to get good news. But you know, whether it's good news or not, there is another kind of news that is just so big, so massive, so significant that it changes everything for everyone, everywhere, for all time. Can you think of those big moments? Um, Some news is so big, isn't it? So massive. It it reshapes history. It reshapes the way we think. We we, we enter into a new era. I can remember when I heard on the radio, I'm pretty sure it was 1997, it was actually my birthday, 31st of August. I was in Strathfield in Sydney. Uh, We were coming home from a marriage course And I heard on the radio that Princess Diana had died in a car accident in France. Felt like the whole world shook, or the Western world at least, at that news. I can remember where I was. Uh, I was in our 
our house in a place we were renting in Newtown when two planes crashed into the World Trade Center, uh, September 11, 2001. And of course, you probably, it's not that hard to remember, is it two years ago, three years ago, is it now, we heard the news from our Premier, we're in a world pandemic. This is going to change everything for a while. But you know the most momentous news ever, the news that changes everything for all time, the best news you could possibly imagine, is the news that death is not the end. Death is not the end. The ugly enemy, our worst enemy of all, has been defeated. Now I can actually remember when I first heard that news... Uh, I was seven years old. I was uh, in a public primary school. I was probably in the school hall because I was listening to a Christmas carol, Mary's Boy Child. And in that Christmas carol, there's a line that says, because of, Christmas, because of this day, man shall live forevermore, referring to Jesus, referring to Jesus' birth. And even as a seven-year-old, I remember thinking, Hang on, if that is true... That is groundbreaking. That has to be a game changer, doesn't it? Now, not everyone believes it's true, but I reckon everyone would like to think it's true. There's something within our hearts that says, I want that. I'm not satisfied unless I get that. I reckon you can tell uh, by the anti-ageing industry, that is a massive injury. Uh, in- industry. Maybe injury as well. Um, the The... The pursuit of scientists who spend their career trying to overcome sickness and ultimately it's, it's trying to overcome death. Some have um, specialised, can we live forever? Can we at least live for longer? Will there come a time when we'll live 100 or 200 years, which is not forever, but it's longer? Uh, the mega rich are freezing their bodies. I don't know whether you're aware of this, but you, you do need a fair bit of cash. Um, to freeze your body if you can't afford your whole body. So this is freezing your body so that you might be resurrected one day when the technology catches up in 100 years' time. There's your body, ready to go. And if you can't afford it, you can just do part of your body. Um, So you just do your head or an arm. We'll be resurrected. It's so devastating, isn't it, to think that death is the end that somehow our life will just come to nothing. That picture of uh, a sandcastle on the shore that just gets washed away, never to be seen again, never to be remembered. It kind of, it strikes at the human heart. It strikes at the human heart that the Bible says has eternity inscribed on it. We just cannot cope because we're made for eternity I reckon it's why you see, what is, it's, it explains what you see at funerals. Um, I don't know whether you've had this experience, but people that have given very little thought to eternity, uh, very little thought to God, will say things like this at a funeral. I know they've gone to be, with a better, in, to be in a better place. But they'll say it based on very little evidence at all. If death is the end, life has no meaning. There is no justice. Uh, What Paul's saying in this chapter is, actually, you might as well eat, drink and be merry and then die, if this is all there is. But this part of the Bible's massively game-changing. Paul says here, 
there's something that's come from God that is very, very good news. Have a look at it with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So leave your Bibles open. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1. Here is the good news. Here is the good news of all good news. I mean, Paul even says that, doesn't he? Here is something of first importance in verse 3. There's nothing more important than this. There's nothing more significant than this. Look at verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you've received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. Did you pick up that word gospel? Uh, I don't know whether you've thought much about the word, actual word gospel. Uh, you might have heard people say, this is gospel truth. Uh, there's gospel choirs. I don't know. There's a few places we use the word gospel. But actually, you know, it's not a religious word. We use that word here a lot at Salt, but it's not a religious word. Uh, it's not a word just reserved for the Bible. It's, it was in the Greco-Roman world of the first century where Paul is writing this letter to the people of Corinth uh, in ancient Greece. Gospel means good news. It just means a huge announcement that has massive implications. Uh, proclaim this gospel. The emperor would proclaim gospels. He would send the message out a son has been born in my family. There is the gospel. There is the good news. But Paul's saying, no, no, I want to use the word differently. I want to, this is good news, but much, much bigger. Here is something that God has done for us that we could never do for ourselves. Three things. Uh, this is the message you need to believe to be saved, to be right with God. Look at it with me in verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins. So what has, what has happened? Paul's received this message, he's passing it on, he hasn't made it up, he's received it from Jesus. It's a message, it's something that God has done outside of him, outside of you, outside of me. And what is it that God has done for us? It's those five key words, isn't it? Five key words that changed the world forever. Christ died for our sins. Christ died for our sins. Jesus, the Lord, the Christ, that's what it means, Christ, the King, your King, has come and died for your sins. Uh, Jesus has stood in our place. He's our substitute. He died, he faced the judgment of God on our behalf. Uh, it, it says something to us about death, doesn't it? We so often think about death as a medical issue. But it's the judgment of God. It was never intended to be that way. Here Jesus takes the judgment out, the death that we deserve on our behalf for the way that we have lived in opposition to him. Jesus says, let me take it. Let me die in your place for your sins. And, and it's just, it, it's simple, isn't it, in, in so many ways? If, if Jesus didn't die for your sins, then you will die for your sins. Uh, if Jesus didn't face the judgment of God on your behalf, you face the judgment of God by yourself. If Jesus didn't die, who would be in heaven 
no one would be in heaven. It's why it's a gospel. It's why it's good news. I don't know, I don't know whether you've seen this movie. It's pretty old. It's called The Doctor. Uh, it's apparently based on a true story uh, by a guy named Ed uh, Rosenbaum, who apparently was a, was a doctor but was a really um, cranky doctor, you know those kind, who have no bedside manner, who treat patients, you know, a bit harshly. Um, and he gets a taste of his own medicine when he gets cancer and he's preparing to go into surgery and there's a whole dynamic in the movie of how will people treat him. It's kind of a message of, of grace in many ways, of kindness. But a friend offers to go with him and there's this classic line in the movie. He says to the friend, I don't want you to come with me. I want you to go instead of me. And that's what Jesus has done for us. Jesus has gone instead of us. He's died for our sins in our place. But notice the second thing there. Paul says it's really important you understand. He was buried. Uh, It seems like a really obvious point. Haven't we just made that point? He died. No, no, let me say it again. He was buried. Paul says, let there be no doubt Jesus died. He wasn't just knocked unconscious to be resuscitated again. He wasn't severely injured to recuperate. He died. He was buried. This is not a near-death experience. This is real death. Which is really, really important, isn't it? Because in the year 600 or so, uh, there was a very different message going around. For 500 years, Jesus, uh, sorry, Jesus' followers had been proclaiming that Jesus is alive, that Jesus really died for sins, that he really buried and was really risen. But the Quran says differently. Uh, so in Surah chapter 4, verse 157, it says that Jesus didn't die on the cross and he wasn't crucified. But Paul says, no, 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 Jesus died. Jesus was buried. He faced a real death. He was placed in a cold, empty tomb. There his body was lifeless in that tomb in Jeru- outside Jerusalem in 33 AD. A real tomb, a real dead body. This is the news, Paul says, that saved. This is the news that gets you to heaven. Well, notice thirdly, he was raised to life. He was raised to life, never to die again. Have a look with me in verse 4. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So here is, here is the moment where, where Paul says, Jesus conquers death. Uh, Death cannot hold Jesus down. And and what an extraordinary thing. No one has ever achieved this, have they? One in one people die. Uh, Death doesn't discriminate against anyone. It affects every nation, every people group. It affects the old and the young. Um, I don't know if you remember that T-shirt that said, he who has the most toys still dies. It makes a mockery of everything, doesn't it? Rich or poor, you cannot escape it. Sick or healthy, all eventually succumb to its power. Death has that tight, tight grip, that 100% success rate on humanity. But now, for the first time in history, Jesus conquers death. Jesus is risen. Jesus restrains the enemy 
that crouches at everyone's door, the enemy that makes a mockery of everything we do, the enemy that we're completely powerless to stop, the enemy that we live in fear of. Jesus defeats decisively, comprehensively. This is good news. This is very good news. And it makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it, when you're facing death? I'm sure you've noticed this if you've been a disciple of Jesus for a while, how different it is to go to the funeral of someone who trusted in Jesus. It is an enormous difference. Um, What happens there? There there is enormous grief, isn't there? There's enormous sadness. There's enormous loss. There's a real recognition this is not the way things should be. This is not the way God intended things, that death really is the judgment of God. And yet, there is great hope. There's a real firm foundation that because Christ died and rose again, and this person trusted in Jesus, they will rise to life again, and we will see them again. And they will be welcomed with a new, into the new creation with a new body. We'll see that more in, in the weeks ahead in 1 Corinthians. So many times, time and time again, I've seen this make the massive difference to someone's life as they, they say goodbye to a loved one. It is groundbreaking news. It is incredibly good news that we will see one another again, that this is not the end. And can I just say to you, don't let this wash over you. Don't let it go. Let it sink deeply within you Christ has risen. Death has been defeated. This really does change everything. Now, it is, it is a massive claim, isn't it? It is a huge claim. And it's so important that it's not based on wishful thinking. It's so important that, that it actually checks out. Uh, you do need to be convinced of this. We would love it to be true, but is it true? And Paul is concerned about that as well. It's interesting, isn't it? Even when you buy a house... A house that's only going to last you for so many years, but it's a massive investment. You actually do your homework and you check it out and you make sure it's legit as you go into this deal. You need to do the same for Jesus. Have a look at verse 4 again. Here's, here's the next part, the evidences. He's already said this once before, but now he says it again. All of this has happened according to the Scriptures. Did you notice that phrase? According to the Scriptures. All of this has happened according to the plan of God. It was God's intention from the beginning. All of the Bible speaks to these events happening in a real place, in a real time. Across 1,300 years, multiple authors and and places, over 300 promises say the Christ is coming to die in the place of his people, to win salvation for them. Jesus doesn't turn up in a vacuum. Uh, This has been spoken of for hundreds of years. It's why John the Baptist, uh, when he sees Jesus, wonders, are you the one that we've been waiting for? And everything Jesus said and everything that Jesus did shows that he is the one. You need to check that out if you're not convinced in the Gospels. And Jesus spoke plainly about this, didn't he? He said in the Gospels, I must go to Jerusalem. I must suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And I must be killed, and on the third day I must be raised to life. 
These things were promised to happen. Jesus spoke plainly about them and they did happen. It's why in, uh, uh, in Luke 24, uh, great to go back to Luke 24, uh, if you haven't read that for a while, uh, it's why the disciples get a rebuke from Jesus. Do you remember that? They, they meet Jesus on the road to Emmaus. They're feeling defeated. They're feeling discouraged. But they meet the resurrected Jesus. They don't realise it's Jesus. They don't know it's him. And Jesus rebukes them. Let me, let me share with you what he says again. How foolish you are, Jesus says. How slow you are to believe all the prophets have spoken. It's like Jesus saying, did you not read your Old Testament scriptures? Were the prophets not clear enough? Was I not clear enough? How much more evidence do you need? What part of the plan don't you understand? What will it take for you to believe? It was spoken of for hundreds of years prior. But of course, Jesus is so compassionate and so gracious with them, isn't he? He knows that they will struggle with this news. And so he appears to them multiple times. He appears to many people in many places at different times. He wants, to, he wants them to know this is real. This is actually happening. This is not blind faith, that Christianity uh, is not check your brains uh, out at the door. This is a reasoned faith based on real evidence in history. And the first eyewitnesses are real people who do exactly what I reckon you and I would have done if we were there. And what is that? It's to doubt. It's to doubt. And the Gospels make this clear, don't they? It's just way too much for me to take in. It's never happened before. It feels too good to be true. I'm I'm discouraged. I'm defeated. I'm filled with grief. And as you read the Gospels, you realise the disciples need to be convinced. And you would need to be convinced. They need to check out the evidence for themselves. And it's only when every other possible explanation is accounted for that they come to the conclusion, this is Jesus. Jesus has risen from the dead. Now, I think this would be the case for you and I, wouldn't it? Can you imagine going to the funeral of a a dear friend? Can you imagine going through that grief, uh, sitting at the funeral, uh, filled with grief, struggling... Two weeks later, you're in the shopping centre and you see what you think is your friend. You wouldn't conclude that they've resurrected, would you? I don't think you would. I don't think you would at all. I reckon you'd say, how uncanny, how cruel. I've just saw someone who is a splitting image of my friend. And maybe you'd think, gee... I knew that grief would take its toll, but I didn't realise I would see a vision of my friend. This is just so much, too much to, to cope with. And, and I reckon they would need to show that you'd need to see more than a glimpse of them in the aisle. They'd need to show themselves multiple times. I reckon they'd need to eat with you and come home with you. I reckon they'd need to say things that you, you'd say, only they know that. It must be them. I reckon you'd want to touch their body. And only then would you conclude they're alive. It's them. They've been resurrected. And that's exactly what Jesus does, doesn't he? 
It's not one isolated private experience with one disciple. It's multiple experiences, isn't it? It's not the story of Muhammad's vision in a cave where he's having the experience on his own with no witnesses or Joseph Smith seeing an angel on his own as he starts Mormonism. It's multiple appearances, multiple witnesses, multiple places at multiple times. Uh, It's not like those criminal cases you hear of where the judge can't bring a conviction because there were no witnesses. It's just your word against theirs and the criminal gets away with it. It's not like that, is it? Look at verse 5. And that he, he, he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then he appeared to the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. Notice the word appearances. Here are the appearances of Jesus. Jesus appeared in bodily form. It's not a vision, it's Jesus in bodily form. It's really important, isn't it? Because what happens to Jesus will happen to us if you trust in him. A real body, a resurrected body. And it's why in Luke 24, Jesus says, he makes the point, you need to touch me and see that I'm real. This is not a ghost. See that marks in my hands and feet. Uh, Feel the hole in my side where the spear went. This is me, Jesus, who was on the cross three days earlier. And so what happened? He appears to Cephas, that's Peter. He then appears to the 12 disciples. That's remarkable, isn't it? That actually explains the disciples, doesn't it? Here are men who went from deserting Jesus, who were timid, who were afraid, who were discouraged. They became people who were bold, confident, proclaiming Jesus, risking their lives for Jesus, proclaiming that Jesus is alive. How do you account for that? They saw the resurrected Jesus. It changed their lives. They were prepared to die for it. And it's not just them, isn't it? Paul makes clear, at one point, it's 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. That is a, that is a large group. That is a large group that see Jesus at the same time. This is not one person having a hallucination. Uh, Abraham Lincoln said, you can fool all of the people some of the time, you can fool some of the people all of the time, but you can't fool all of the people all of the time. This is out there and verifiable. And Paul says to his hearers, if you're in any doubt, go and speak to the people who are still alive, who saw the resurrection. Go and ask them. Some of them have not yet died. See, it's the, it's the nature of this letter. Paul's writing about 53, 55 AD. It's about 25 years after Jesus' resurrection. Uh, depending on how you do the dating, it could be just under 20 years since Jesus was resurrected. There are people still living who lived when Jesus was resurrected. And Paul says, you need, if you're in any doubt, you need to go and speak to them. It's, it's the nature of writing history, isn't it? When you're writing history within the time frame of people who were actually there, you're on incredibly dangerous ground. You are going to be scrutinised. Uh, people are going to go, hang on a minute, that's not actually what happened. This is what happened. Um, I don't know whether you remember earlier this year, I think it was at our AGM, we celebrated 10 years of SALT, which was a great, great celebration. 
uh, of God's kindness to salt over so many years. And I wasn't here when salt started, uh, but it's really interesting when people say to me, oh, I remember, or when salt started, and what I do then is um, I go and ask those who are still alive, (laughs) uh, who were there, a small group of precious people, Andy's one of them, so I just go and check with Andy. Um, Did that happen? Um, Because that's what you can do, isn't it? To verify history. And that's what Paul's saying. Check out the evidence for Jesus and his resurrection for for yourself. Let the evidence speak to your doubt. You will doubt. The disciples doubted. Uh, But press into it, understand it. Uh, even come along to our life course on, on Wednesday night. Uh, that's one of the things we're going to be pressing into. Uh, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, miracles, did they happen? What reasons do we have? So, so come along to that. But lastly, uh, Jesus appears uh, to James, the brother of Jesus. Then he appears to all the, all the apostles. And then notice uh, Paul makes a point. He appears to Paul himself, uh, the man who went from religious terrorists killing Christians as a sport to proclaimer of Jesus, proclaiming the good news of Jesus and his resurrection, he appears to him as well. It explains a lot about Paul's life, doesn't it? How do you you make that massive transformation? Again, he saw the risen Jesus and it changed everything for him. So there it is. Here, Paul says, is humanity's lifeline. Here is the message of life. Here is the best news ever. Here is the message you need to believe to be saved, to be rescued, to be put right with God. It saved Paul. Paul uh, goes on at the end of that little, little section there. Here is Paul, the worst of sinners. We've heard that phrase in our trustworthy sayings. There is no sinner too far gone. There's no unforgivable sin. Uh, unless you keep ignoring Jesus, that's unforgivable in the end. But he saved Paul, not because of what Paul had done, far from it, not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done. The good news is everything has been done in Jesus. Not because of what we've done, not because of how great we are, but because how great and kind Jesus is. And that's why it's called good news. But... Paul says something really important in verse 2 as we finish up this morning. Did you notice? Verse 2 again, look at it with me. By this gospel, by this great announcement of good news, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Uh, It's the message that saves if you believe it, if you grab hold of it, if you trust in it. It's the message that gets you to heaven if you depend upon it. So Jesus' death and resurrection is effective for the forgiveness of sins when you depend on this good news. Uh, It's a bit like uh, going to the doctors. Uh, He prescribes, he or she prescribes a cure, but you need to grab hold of it, don't you? You actually need to say, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to put it into effect. Um, Every time I go and see my doctor, I think he's filled with fear that I won't do that. (laughs) Uh, He must look at me, a middle-aged man, and go, I don't get to see your species very often. Um, You're not very good at coming to the doctors because you're male. 
Uh, and you're not very good at putting things into practice. And so he keeps emphasising to me, you need to, and I won't tell you what it is, but that's what I need to do to have the cure, to be saved. And so you've got to take it. Uh, it's like going to the physio and, and the physio giving you exercises to do. You know how to love your physio is do the exercises. They spent four years at uni learning all this stuff and people don't do it. It's very frustrating, I hear. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus was risen. Trust him. Make it effective for your life. Do you trust him? Are you saved? It's very humbling, isn't it? It's a very, very humbling message, not because of what happened to Jesus, but actually what it says about us. It says, I need help, doesn't it? It says, I need saving. I can't remove my sin. I can't rescue myself. I can't raise myself from the dead. I need to depend on Jesus. I need Jesus to die for me. I need Jesus to rise again for my sins. And can I say that there is, there is one massive thing that will get in your way in making this effective for you? And it's pride. It's pride, isn't it? That I don't need Jesus. It's pride that will prevent us from admitting our sin, asking for forgiveness, trusting in Jesus. It's even pride that will prevent us from even checking this out, whether it's true or not. I remember, um, let me tell you this very last story. I remember on the Central Coast hearing this story of four surfers at Avoca Beach uh, in really bad conditions, conditions that were getting worse, uh, out the back of the surf, uh, lifesavers greatly concerned for them. Three of the surfers come in. Uh, they're all friends. Uh, and the three surfers that come in look at their friend out the back and say to each other, I cannot believe that he's still out there. I cannot believe that he won't come in. And then eventually one of the surf rescuers goes out and they look at him and they say, how come he's not putting his hand up? How come he won't come back to the shore? You know the answer, don't you? It's pride. Uh, they got talking afterwards and he goes, actually, I didn't want to admit that I was in trouble. I didn't, you know, that, that walk back on the shore, that walk back to the surf club, that sitting in a chair, are you okay? Let's just put you over here, is incredibly humbling, isn't it? You needed help. You were in real trouble. Someone had to come and get you. Someone did come and get him. But it's pride, isn't it? Don't let that be you. Here is the good news. Jesus has died for your sins. Here is the trustworthy good news. Here is the good news that you need to trust. Let me pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank and praise you this morning as we hear this gospel, this good news. Something that we could never do for ourselves. Something that comes from, without, from outside of us in Jesus who came and died for our sins who was risen to new life. Lord, thank you for the evidences that you've given us, the appearances, the scriptures that speak to this event. Father, we pray that you'd find us trusting in Jesus, our Saviour and Lord, for the forgiveness of our sins. And Lord, we do pray that you'd help those of us who are still working these things out, 
Uh, We pray that you'd give us opportunity to check it out further. We pray that you'd give us faith, trust, dependence on your son Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. In Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.